Welcome to the Mench Warmers, your bi-weekly Jewish and sports podcast, as well as the television show, Fauda. We are brought to you, as always, by the Canadian Jewish News. Uh, Gabe, it's it's uh, Tuesday, November 5th. That's right. Uh, one day after your birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. I've been uh, 30 years old for about 25. I've brought 30 hours now, yeah. actually. Yeah, welcome to your 30s. Yeah. November 4th, easy one to remember. It's the same, It's the anniversary of the death of uh, Yitzhak Rabin. The day they got Rabin. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. But welcome to your welcome to your 30s. Join me. And uh, apropos to our new ages, uh, we're no longer taping in our spare bedroom. We're now taping in the future baby room. That's in the, right. In the Hirsch residence. For uh, when we're, we're back in our home base. Yeah. Uh, at Jamie's home instead of mine in the future home of little Rivka or Ruchami or Something like Malka that. or... Whatever, uh, whatever biblical name you guys decide to go with. Yeah, and our, our folding table uh, that we'd been using before has now been replaced with a changing table that maybe we built too early, but it's nice to have everything in the room situated. Oh, and, have you, have uh, you tried it out? We have not. Um, Naomi keeps, my wife keeps telling me that uh, not to uh, sit on the things that we're building for the baby because they're really not meant to, you know, carry the weight of a, of a, lar- a large adult child. Uh, <laughs> more the, the small child that uh, will be coming soon. But uh, yeah, wife and I are having a baby in a couple months. So that's really exciting news well, for we'll have a new little mensch, uh, menchette on the benchette. Ooh. Uh, in in March, so that'll be give us something to look forward to, and uh, you know, probably cut down on my hours to uh, to shit post on Twitter. I'm uh, I'm excited to record a podcast with you after you've had no sleep with a crying baby in the other room and uh, and a, a, a overworked wife whom you are ignoring to make our show. Oh yeah, that's when the real takes will come out. Absolutely. That's when the real exciting takes will come out. Hopefully, that'll give us uh, that'll give us some interesting uh, interesting takes on the uh, Israeli baseball team in Japan that's for the right. Tokyo Olympics. It'll be around that time <laughs> that uh, you know we'll have some we'll have some interesting takes around that you know around then because uh, I will be tired and, and cranky and you can stay uh, up the whole to house watch will all of the sports in that's uh, 2020. True. You can see oh, that's uh, a great Jessica point. Fox. The uh, canoeist from Australia. Yeah, that's right. Tried to get on the show before. I think the time difference is too significant to to have her on at the moment. But at the moment. but maybe after uh, Tokyo, uh, she she'll have some free time. You know, Absolutely. after she's done training. Um, I think uh, in the coming months we'll we'll probably start to profile a few Jewish Olympians that uh, we can expect to see there. Uh, until then, we have a you know great show today. We have an interview coming up with uh, Alan Goldsher. Uh, Alan's a writer. He's uh, had a long weekend. Yeah, he's had a long weekend. Uh, we're going to talk to him all about that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit, a, a little bit later about why that is, uh, and has has to do with the demise, semi demise of the website Deadspin, which uh, is one of our favorite websites. I think we both agree. An influence on all of sports media in the 2010s, for sure. And uh, you know, before we get to that, I think it's you know customary that we do a little Jewish Jewish sports news off the top. Uh, Gabe, anything anything been going on in the sports world that you've been keeping an eye on? Absolutely. Uh, last weekend, our boy, our favorite boy, uh, Denis Shapovalov love of uh, Israel and Canada and Judaism, sure. as well as some uh, cross-wearing group. But uh, he identifies as at least partly Jewish, and we certainly consider him a Jew. Yep. Um, he uh, sort of won and defaulted his way to the finals of the uh, Paris Masters in tennis. Okay. He uh, upset a number of higher-ranked players than him. Uh, and then Rafael Nadal chose, saw Shapovalov waiting for him, and uh, cowered in fear and his back sort of gave out uh, just so he wouldn't have to lose to Shapovalov. Right, you know, that's that's Rafael Nadal's uh, reputation, really, is declining <laughs> declining to play in the big tennis matches. A challenge. Being scared of D- Denis Shapovalov and, uh, and ducking out of a, 
uh, second tier tournament. You know. Well, it's a uh, record. It's not a video. Okay. So on he made the record, it to the finals. He made it to the finals. Right. Where but, I saw he lost to uh, Novak uh, Djokovic. Quite summarily. Yeah. But he had a really wonderful run. So good for him. Good for Shapovalov. Starting at 50... Uh, 780 off quite well. Sure. I saw that he's now ranked 15th in the world. So that, you know, puts him in contention, uh, I think. Three three more. When If he's 18th in the world, do we get to have a, celebra- <laughs> Maybe. a celebration? Maybe if he gets there on, on the way back. Uh, but, you know, like puts him in contention to have a good spot and have a good chance of exceeding, su- succeeding. I mean, the, the getting some Aust- good seeds in the Australian. Yeah, the Australian's coming up. It's the first, master- his first Grand Slam of the year in January. And uh, we'll see how he does there. Um, I have a little, so a little bit of sports news as well. Uh, the Washington Nationals, who we talked about extensively on the previous podcast, won the World Series. That's right. Mazel tov, mazel tov to the Lerner to family. The Lerner family, the single largest landowner in Washington D.C. Is that right? Other than the government. Other than the federal government. Um, so only one member of the Lerner family, it looked like, uh, showed up to the White House. Um, the the Ted Lerner, the the elder Lerner, I think, declined to attend. Uh, so one in attendance sort of makes sense. Uh, I think their politics tend to be more progressive but mm-hmm. i don't really know that they uh that they're so public with it compared to other teams but in any event muzzle tov to the learners uh bring you know a championship cha- championship baseball to to washington and That's right. for our uh, montreal fans out there you know a sort of belated championship it for the still Expos. Counts, i think it, it very vaguely counts um that team was was so sadly ripped away from montreal and stolen from the city and uh, brought to washington so is jeffrey laurie a jewish uh i believe he is Yikes. Yeah, not a, not a great look. Um, no, might have for to look leaving Montreal. That. Although a lot of you know, when they make it big, Jewish people leave Montreal, uh, and unfortunately, the Expos were one of them. Yeah. Uh, some other news. Uh, congratulations to the learners. The Rugby World Cup has just ended. Congratulations to the champion South Africa. We could not find any active Jewish rugby players for South Africa for uh, <laughs> for any of the teams um, playing rugby. We for could South not South Africa. <laughs> How's your Invictus? Uh, can you read it? Can you recite Invictus? Do you remember the movie Invictus? Yeah, I remember the movie Invictus. I can't, I can't recite any of it from memory. I um, think he wants us to win the World Cup. Yeah, this is great. This is great for both of our listeners who, who recall the, uh, I'm going to say, what, 2010 Matt Damon, Morgan Freeman movie Invictus? That's right, where everyone spoke with a South African accent. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, Morgan Freeman does a pretty good uh, Mandela. I think so. I think he's got the, the gravitas needed to play a man of that stature. Yeah, that's right. Though, uh, in, so who won the Rugby World Cup? So South Africa South won Africa the Rugby won. World Cup. Uh, the only, there are a couple of Jewish American national team players. Okay, that's something. Nate Ebner, who we've spoken about before in the right, NFL, the, plays the for the New England, England Patriots as well, plays for the U.S. national rugby team, as well as a uh, man named Zach Test, who was a young stud on the uh, U.S. rugby team, but America didn't make it. Okay. However, there is one Jewish connection in that one of the broadcasters for Team South Africa, a man by the name of Joel Stransky, oh, cool. which Joel Stransky is a name you could see, you know, he taught me uh, my bar mitzvah lessons. Right. From Joel very, Stransky. Pretty, pretty Jewish sounding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you've been to Joel Stransky's restaurant? It's great. Sure. He, uh... He is Jewish. He is a broadcaster for the South African national team, as well a hero from a previous South African championship, 1995, uh, which was fictionalized in the film Invictus. Oh, cool. So he was probably representing that movie. If not directly, then he would have been one of the guys on the field. Um, Good to see that, you know, even if we're not doing it on the field, that... 
we do have lots of Jewish representation in the uh, in the media booths. So Absolutely. We, we talked about Andres Kantor, the uh, famous soccer announcer. Oh, totally. Uh, on a previous episode. And, you know, it seems like there's other sports as well that Jews are dominating in the, in the media. Absolutely. And in the film Invictus, Stransky was actually played by Scott Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's son. Okay. So it was a meaty character, a meaty role that he gave sure. to his own son. Right. So that's and good. And yet another uh, Jewish char- character being played by a non-Jew, a subject for another podcast another time. There are some wild names in rugby, especially on the South African team. Oh, yeah. The coach, Skonk Nicholson. Skonk? Skonk. Is that his given name? Uh, I don't believe Skonk is... I do not believe... Skonk is his given Skonk name. Skonk is his given name. Still, it's a good nickname. Uh, I, I tweeted out some... His name's some... actually Merv. Okay, and Merv. Merv Nicholson, you could really see as being... Uh, how do you get Skonk out of that? You know, I, I tweeted out some some pictures from the account today of uh, various sports boomers, uh, like Chris Berman and David Wiles and stuff like that. And, you know, boomers are pretty good, common uh, North American sports nickname. So maybe Skonk is like the uh, South African boomer, you know? Who knows what it means? <laughs> That's our, our Dabo. Yeah. Skonk. <laughs> Dabo. Dabo is a pretty funny nickname, but I think oh, it's yeah. his nickname for his whole life. I, I think, well, think, well, there's uh, there's that the golfer, Andrew Johnson. Beef. And he just goes by beef. Beef. And yeah. like when they, you know, you're watching the broadcast, Jim Nance or Mike Tariqa or what have you, it says, we go to the ninth hole for beef on the fairway. Beef's a pretty great nickname. Uh, Wellington Castillo, who used to catch for the Orioles, was also named Beef. But that, that, that was good, Beef Wellington. Yeah. You know, that was I always thought it was Beef Castillo. Beef Castillo. <laughs> I think any like food-related uh nickname is like you sound like a like a like a meathead like like you yeah sound, you know but like uh you, are we gonna nickname ryan braun kreplach <laughs> maybe brisket brisket yeah, brisket, brisket braun. braun brisket Ooh. braun's not bad yeah Ooh, let's put a pin in that one yeah we might have to say brisket for another for another someone younger who can we might have a chance to stick it to them you That's, know it's true. like like a new york giants quarterback uh daniel daniel jones has become danny dimes it took him like three weeks and now he's danny dimes yeah, it'll, be, it'll be danny dimes the rest of his life even though he sucks <laughs> It's, it's true. I mean, Larry Bird was Larry Legend very, very yeah. quickly. And uh, uh, Danny Dimes. He was a legend. Yeah. So I guess we have to find a young Jewish player to give a food-related nickname to I think brisket's quickly. good. Kreplach uh, might be a little tough to say and pronounce. You know? Yeah. You might get into Kike Hernandez territory there in terms That's of true. the spelling throwing people off. There, maybe uh, there could be a Kishka Yeah, somewhere. Kishka's not bad. Yeah. Cholent? Uh, Cholent's a little tough. Mm. Uh, but, but brisket's not bad. And I think people know how to say it for sure. Not exclusively Jewish, obviously, but I think we've got to find a player to call Matzah Meal. Just like, oh, uh, you know, Matzah Meal Thompson. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, because yeah. it like, shows they're tough and gritty. Yeah, I feel like that's good for a hockey player. You know, the grit and also like there's a lot of biscuit references in hockey. Ooh. So like you can say like, you know, he's cooking his biscuits with 100% Matzah Meal. He's that's kosher right. Passover. He put the kosher Passover biscuit in the Seder plate. Exactly. When he's, uh, you know, taking the Seder off to go play hockey. As, <laughs> as, as, as many of the guests at my Seder did last year to watch, to uh, watch the Leafs, hockey. Leafs in Game 6 or whatever it was. You know, on the Seder last year, and we talked about this in the podcast that Larry Tannenbaum had six teams he owned playing in one night. Right. Uh, and was he at his Seder or was he watching the games? <laughs> I guess we don't know. I guess well, I guess you know, know, I guess that leads us to our next segment of not knowing what uh, Larry Tannenbaum's up to because uh, he, he won't come on our podcast. He's, he's scared. <laughs> he's scared to come on the podcast. <laughs> But uh, day, we, have Larry, some, we, have some, li- we have some, you know, corollary Larry, Larry news this week. If, uh, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on at any time. Uh, we want to hear the story of Kilmer Van Nostrand. Yeah. We want to hear the story of you. And, and now I believe you've got five championship rings in the last few years. And- we promise you 100% softball questions. <laughs> <laughs> it ter- we're not real journalists. We're, we're, we're not, you know, here to investigate anyone. Right. Uh, yes, perhaps. We want to ask you if you and Zach Hyman have ever, uh, you know... Shared some Manischewitz. Yeah, or like gone to Panzer's Deli together or something like that. 
so Burger Shack. Gone to Burger Shack. Gone to Burger Shack together. together, yeah. A few pieces of Larry related news. The first is uh, Toronto FC, the local uh, 11. Footy how many people? How many 11. people? 11. I think the local, local 11 is a good way yeah. to do it. Yeah. Local 11, the uh, Major League Soccer team uh, for Toronto, has made it back to the MLS finals. Yep, they're playing in Seattle. Uh, neither team, Toronto or Seattle, seems to have any Jewish player on the roster. Right. But they are owned by Larry Tannenbaum as part of right. MLSC. And our friend Devin works for them. So <laughs> good luck, Devin. Uh, also not Jewish, but dating a Jewish woman. And, uh, you know, we wish him all, all the luck in the world. And hopefully they bring uh, another championship home to uh, championship city, Toronto. Uh, and another ring for Larry. And uh, one other piece of Larry news. Uh, shout out, as always, to our mother publication, the Canadian Jewish News. In the uh, newspaper this week, there was an article about the Raptors' uh, trip to Israel that had been suggested by Larry Tannenbaum prior to the Raptors winning the championship. He had said before they won that if they won, they they would go to Israel as a team, and the trip never materialized. So when that happened, uh, certain people of uh, a political bent that you can uh, predict, I think, suggested that the reason was because of uh, some sort of BDS uh, or uh, team uh, political statement that they wouldn't travel to Israel. Um, so that wasn't the case at all, obviously. Uh, Paul Lundgren of the Canadian Jewish News investigated this and reached out to Mr. Tannenbaum, and I'm just going to read that. So, so would you say that from the BDS movement, the team may have been restrained? <laughs> I don't think they were restrained. Oh, uh, they weren't? Perhaps submitted to a uh, to pressure? Uh, I don't think they submitted to pressure. I mean, I think if you read this quote... Uh, Oh, I get it. You were making a BDSM joke. Oh, okay. There you go. The, it was pretty the, bad. The confused look on the our producer Michael's uh, uh, face makes me feel... Uh, well, that joke know, didn't land? That joke didn't land. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I'm usually have a pretty good uptake for your humor, so when I'm not getting it, I don't think our audience is going to either. Uh, but here's what Mr. Tannenbaum said. He said that... Uh, the, the amount of players and coaches participating in the FIBA World Cup in China during August made it, you know, impossible to find dates that worked for the whole team in a short offseason. Obviously, short offseason because the Raptors were in as many games as they could have been. But do you think if they're like, oh, Malcolm Miller's busy, we can't go? Yeah. Is that a real I, thing? No, I think probably Malcolm Miller was probably one of the few players who would have gone. gone. Would have gone. But whatever, you know, the schedule. Anyways, he said this. I find it curious that anti-Israel activists, about whom I have little knowledge, are taking credit for our schedule challenge, scheduling challenges. I think legitimate questions can be raised about the intentions of a group that is attempting to sow division through sport. It seems to me that so sport should be used as a vehicle to bring people together. Look at the Raptors. Our approach to diversity, in part, won us a championship. So, good statement. I mean, I think that that's, uh, you know, unsurprising given the uh, the way they've run the team and the people who, who have been involved. And uh, hopefully there's a trip to Israel in the future. Um, you know, trying to find any discourse about this online was just uh, a Twitter link to the CJN article. And then every reply was just pretty much alternating uh, like 180 Palestinian flag emojis and then 180 Israeli flag emojis back oh. and forth. So that was about it. Uh, I find whenever you get a politically charged article online, there's always two comments. There's one person saying something totally outrageous and racist or way too hard on one side of the issue. And then the first reply is immediately someone going, I make $2,000 a week working from home. And it really, uh, it, it, it kills the discourse. You got to hear both sides, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so why don't we take a quick break there and we'll come back and talk about Deadspin a little bit. So a brief bit of research I've done during the break. Um, our, the, the match this week, uh, Toronto FC against the Seattle Sounders FC. Yep. Larry Tannenbaum, we know. 
Uh, the owner of the Seattle Sounders is a man named Adrian Hanauer. I'm going to uh, say not Jewish. Who owns a very, very large bedding and linens company. Huh. Yeah, pillows and, and... So he is in the Shmata business. Right. And he is Jewish. Oh, yes. So it would Hanauer. Hanauer. Okay. It, they're from New York City, but it okay. been, they're secular. It would have been a very easy uh, way to get uh, sort of our the neutral fans who don't have a Toronto or Seattle... Right, just cheer for Seattle cheer, as a, with to a cheer Jewish for owner. Toronto. I mean, for cheer for Jewish cheer for Toronto, yeah. But uh, Seattle indeed also has one, so I suppose it depends on your allegiance to concrete, which the Larry Tannenbaum made his fortune in, or pillows. Sure. So it's sort of the the stoppable force against the movable object right, right here. I thought Steve Nash was involved with the Sanders. Is that different? Uh, He's MLS? the Whitecaps. What's that? Uh, also MLS. No, yeah, it's the Vancouver team. Vancouver, Vancouver. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. He's from Vancouver. That's right. Um, before we uh, talk about Deadspin a little bit, we should remind you, as always, that we're brought to you by the Canadian Jewish News. Uh, you can find our uh, stories at cjnews.com. Find us on Facebook at CJN Podcast Network and on Twitter at Menschwarmers. And at many podcast uh, apps, you've got um, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, however you're listening to us now. You Go- can Google Podcasts. You um, so- Stitcher. Gabe, and more. Happened, something happened last week in sports media that was uh, pretty surprising or not that surprising, depending on your outlook. Just give our listeners a little bit of recap. The website Deadspin, uh, which had initially been Gawker's uh, sports-related vertical, uh, has been around for about 13 years, 14 years. Um, when Gawker went out of business uh, four years ago, it was bought along with other companies by Univision and then branched out to uh, Great Hill Partners, which is a media conglomerate, you know, a, a private equity firm. That- Great Hill Partners sounds like the name of a private equity firm that Jewish people would start to hide that they're Jewish. Like yeah. they wouldn't call it by their own name. They would right. be like, oh, let's call it Great Hill. Like Cadillac Fairview. Like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, Deadspin, which has always been sort of a more than just sports uh, website reporting on, you know, all the things that touch on the world and even things that not sports related at all was given a mandate last week to stick to sports. And that led to the mass resignation of its entire editorial and layout team. Uh, pretty much everyone was gone within, within a day or two last week. Uh, and that's pretty much the end of the website. I mean, I, I certainly sort of feel sad about this. It was definitely, you know, one, one of my favorite websites, my favorite sports website, uh, you know, the first place I would check in the morning, uh, you know, it wasn't giving you gamers and, you know, sports standings and stuff like that, but giving you the sort of more hard hitting and investigative and funny and, you know, sort of, uh, uh, irreverent sports takes, I think that, uh, have really come to define the way lots of media in the Twitter age operates and, and certainly the way lots of sports media operates. It's sort of an interesting take that you don't, often get a, a very powerful sort of unified editorial front to make that decision to resign on mass when the mandate changes. Yeah. Um, I, a lot of the journalism media is very precarious and, and understandably, I mean, you know, people need jobs. I, people, you know, I, I don't fault people for sticking it out at places that aren't uh, always, always match their politics or their, uh, mm-hmm. their, their editorial outlook because, you know, you need, you need the paycheck and all that. And, and, uh, the staff of Deadspin felt that they could go out on their own. And now that brings us to our guest. Yeah. So after the mass resignation, the sort of the site sort of went dark. Nothing was really being published for a bit. Uh, three or four days or two or three days. No, no, not, not even. I think a, uh, within a day or two. And then the first post went up. Uh, it was a post about the uh, feud between Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. 
uh, last year that that recently came out in the media because Kevin Durant, who left Golden State last year to play for the Brooklyn Nets, or not play because he's injured. Not Jewish. In, not Jewish. Uh, got injured in, in the finals last year with Toronto. Um, but he said that the, the feud with Draymond Green was part of what led him to leave Golden State in the first place. Uh, so uh, our guest today, Alan Golcher, wrote an article um, about why Draymond Green should have kicked uh, Kevin Durant's ass last year, and that would have solved a lot of things. Um, so, you know, the piece was sort of, uh, you know, not necessarily the story here. The piece was sort of, I think, trying to sort of emulate Deadspin style in a certain way and just sort of, uh, you know, a perfectly fine piece a blog you know not not nothing more than that nothing less but uh within minutes of him posting it he got dragged on on the internet and everyone tweeted at him and yelled at him online and called him a scab and uh you know it was sort of an unbelievable amount of attention for what was an otherwise relatively innocuous sports day so alan is kind enough to join us he's kind enough to join us uh hopefully we'll, we'll hear from him about you know what happened how he experienced everything uh what led him to ultimately quit deadspin as quickly as he joined it and uh whether that had any lasting impact on his his sort of writing and his uh, interactions with other people online so please enjoy our interview with alan goldshire uh, who is jewish to bring this back to the theme of our podcast uh, about some uh his experience with sports media uh the twitter mob and uh, his brief time at deadspin so we're joined today uh by alan goldshire uh hi alan thanks for joining us oh my pleasure guys thanks for having me uh, Alan, can you tell, tell our guests, uh, our listeners, a little bit about who you are and uh, your, your background, history, things you've done? I, well, I'm sort of a multimedia dude. I, uh, I write books and ghostwrite and I make music. Um, as of late, the, the primary thing I have been doing is ghostwriting. Um, I can't talk about the people whose books I have written, but, you know, there's some uh, celebrities and business people and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, I've written 15 books of my own. Wow. Uh, the, the, the best known one is called Paul is Undead. Uh, it's a kind of a retelling of the Beatles story as if they are zombies. Okay. Because why not? Cool. Um, and I'm also still making some music. I have uh, an album dropping actually on uh, November 12th. It's kind of a jazz, electronica, mishmash, and I'm uh, super proud of it. Uh, if you guys want a little more information about it, just dive. Uh, Alan Gold, you got to tell. So... I guess we'll get started. Um, you've had a pretty hardcore week. What happened? All right, so I don't know if you guys heard about Deadspin, but they kind of fell apart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they, <laughs> uh, I'm sure the listeners can just go dig on the, the Deadspin backstory if they want specifics. But, you know, long story short, the, the staff was given uh, an edict to stick to sports. That's the big old uh, buzzword. And they in mass walked. Right. Um, I had heard about that. Now, I, you know, I read Deadspin just like everybody, every other sports nerd does, did. Um, but I wasn't, like, obsessive about it. Thus, I did not know how hardcore and loyal their fan base was. Sure. Nor did I know how how long the staff had been together and then they've been through battles and wars. And I didn't know any of that backstory. So, walking into this clueless, I reached out to... Um, the GO media, the, the Deadspin um, mothership, right. and spoke to their HR department. I was like, hey, you guys probably need some writers, and I would love to uh, crack at it. And they were really cool about it, and I would like to emphasize that. Um, GO media has been taking a, a beating in the uh, in the press, but in my personal dealings with them, they were nothing but cool and professional and nice, so, you know, respectful. Um, so they, they, they asked 
asked me to give him some pitches. Uh, uh, one of the gentlemen that worked there did an editor. And uh, I gave him some pitches the, um, last Thursday night. Um, and then the fateful Friday came along, and I, I did the thing that a lot of false freelancers who want to go that extra mile do and not wait for the response on the pitch. Right. Go ahead and write an article. So I went ahead and wrote an article um, about the silly little thing about uh, what if uh, Kevin Durant had been on a podcast the previous day, and he was musing about how, well, if I hadn't gotten that, the, the, the argument with Draymond Green against them after that game against the Clippers, I might have re-signed with the team, which is absurd. <laughs> right? So that seemed very desperate. So I did a silly little take on that. Pulled it in, the editor wrote back and wrote it, and he posted it like two hours later, and I posted the, the link to the article on my Twitter. And then all hell broke loose. It was bananas. So, you know, like I said, I've written a lot of books, I've made a lot of just like any other dude on Twitter, you know, you, you sometimes get paid attention to, you sometimes don't. Oh my God, I got like hundreds and hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of tweets calling me a scab and saying horrible and just railing on me for for doing this article and for uh, I think in in everybody's mind just doing wrong to death spin. Now, right. you know, bear in mind again, like I'm the idiot didn't do the uh, the background check and didn't really do the. The, the due diligence. I just wanted to write for Deadspin. I thought it would be dope. And um, it was not. <laughs> um, about half an hour into this, um, you know, not only am I getting horrible tweets to people from my website, you know, my email and sending me just like really awful notes. And it's just, you know, it's a sports website. I wrote a silly little article and I'm just getting these just hateful, hateful missives. Right. Um, this one gentleman. Uh, who uh, is putting together a free, kind of a freelance uh, writer's community? He emailed me and he's like, "You want to talk this out?" And I'm like, "You know what? That might not be a horrible idea." So we kicked around some stuff on the phone, and he did not at any point say, "No, apologize for that." Um, he just laid out what he saw in the situation, and you know, I walked away from my computer, took a couple deep breaths, and said, "You know what? This is not worth it." Right. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, I, I thought about it, I thought about it, I thought about it, and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta fix this. I kind of did, you know, again, I, I took a deep breath and I thought, you know, what, I'm, I'm just gonna be me. This is, this is me apologizing. This is legitimately what I believe, which is, hey, you know what? You guys are super passionate about this. You guys really care about it. The, the readers care about it. The writers care about it. The writers care for the other writers. The right, you know, meaning the, the journalists community at large and you know that was the thing like uh, if it's just some random person calling me a scab you know just some random guy yelling at me sure. on twitter it sucks but it's not gonna change my life right. but if it's like multiple people whose work i respect and who you know i've read and other people i've heard of who work for publications and websites that i respect and then, you know, some of them are, are, are doing uh, their yelling in a harsh manner, but some of them are like, you know, when we think this, you know, at, at that point, if it's people you respect coming at you and say, maybe this isn't the best idea, then maybe it's not the best idea. Right. And it, se it seemed like after you, uh, at least from what, you know, we could see on Twitter, that it seemed like after you did the sort of mea culpa, which may or may not have been, you know, your fault in the first place. But after that, there, it, there did seem to be reach out from some of the former uh, Deadspin writers and other people in, in sports media and things like that saying, you know, like, hey, this guy did the right thing. You know, he responded to the criticism. Maybe the criticism wasn't entirely fair. And I'm sure you got a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, vitriol laced uh, invective that wasn't necessarily due. 
but that, you know, you did sort of do something that was cool in the end, whether, you know, it was because you just didn't want to put up with it anymore or because you saw the sort of the, the virtue of not participating in that sort of thing. Well, something that, that doesn't happen very often in media and especially the sports media and especially on Twitter is you gave a apology that people actually liked. Uh, so often apologies make things worse. Um, and this is a, obviously a pretty hardcore issue for people. So tell us what the, what that part of the story was like. Um, so the apology itself, honestly, like it wasn't the kind of thing where I sat there and, and, and ruminated, how am I going to work this? That's just what I felt at the moment. Right. You know, um, and, you know, people, you know, it's all over the place you can read it if you want to. But it's not a big deal. It's just like me saying, okay, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Sure. So I'm going to move on. Um, but then at the end of it, like after I stoned, after the, the, the Mia Culpa went up, uh, and after it started making the rounds, all of a sudden, like all of these people were, the people that had been hating on me not more than 30 minutes ago were like, oh, okay, well maybe I'm sorry. <laughs> right, <You know>? right. <laughs> maybe we were taking a little too far on, you know, who gets to write for a uh, sports blog. <laughs> well, it wasn't even that. I mean, it was just, you know, everybody, people say yes, absolutely. And we all know that that is definitely an issue here. Yeah. Um, but, but the other thing was like, people were just like, you did the right thing. And, you know, it, you guys are Canadian, but I know you know what's going on in the United States, right? Sure. Now there's a lot of, uh, you know, black and white, red and blue. It's a lot of... Really? I know. <laughs> weird. Um, and I think that it's possible that people, you know, seeing one little schmuck like me do the right thing, um, or at least what they thought was the right thing, um, they're like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. Let's roll with this. So then I started getting, like, you know, uh, the hate-filled stuff turned into the love-filled stuff. Like, you're my hero. I can't believe you do that. <laughs> uh, someone, someone offered me a job. Right. Like, if you ever want to work in the finance world, <laughs> <laughs> and someone like was like, give me your Venmo. I want to buy you a beer. <laughs> and people were like, when are you going to put up a GoFundMe page? <laughs> oh, God. And I, was, and I, I tweeted this. I was legit getting choked up. Like, i just gotten the shit kicked out of me for about 45 minutes, and then everybody's like, you're awesome. Right. And at that point, I kind of sort of touched on this. I decided no more mean tweets. And because I, I just, everybody mean tweets. And even if it's just like a, a small little thing about, you know, the Chicago Bears, who I've been mean tweeting the shit out of for the last several weeks. Well, you, you're a human with a pulse. Yeah, for good reason. <laughs> Absolutely. But I don't have to just like get, I don't have to be a douche. I can be a nice guy on Twitter. I can still be silly. I can still be, you know, vulgar. But I don't have to mean anybody. And I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I haven't been tweeting in a while. I just be tweeting. And, you know, to some extent, that was the original. Um, social media was not invented to, to shit on people. Right. Social media was invented to be sociable. And, you know, if anything came of this, for me, for me personally, it's just, I'm going to try and be nicer. Let me, let me give you a little story. Um, the day it happened, uh, I'm talking with my wife. I told her about my, you know, new leader, that's a no more mean tweet. Sure. We're talking about a, a mutual acquaintance of ours who, you know, he's, he's a quirky guy, and I have, I have invented a Seinfeld-esque nickname for him. And even though he didn't really do anything to merit that nickname, I just kept calling that name and calling him that name and calling him that name. So I called him that name, and my wife's like, you know what? If you're going to be nice on social media, you should probably be nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's pretty are, good. Take are, the lessons are, from online, offline. Are nicknames the mean tweets of real-life 
world. They might be. A couple of years ago, I actually quit Twitter. Uh, I was pretty hard into it. Uh, and then I was working in the media full time at the time. And then at the uh, the Trump election, and I, it was always bad. But, you know, after 2016, it sort of felt way more real. Right. That it wasn't a place where people were mean to be fun. It was a place where people were mean because they were upset. Um, and sort of for my own mental health, I decided I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. So I haven't been on Twitter since then. And I know it's not a tenable solution for a lot of people, especially not freelance journalists, but I don't miss it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's, I get what you're saying. I don't miss being that, that, that guy. On, right. You know, and I kind of have to use social media. I mean, I have massively stepped away from Facebook because of the, just a general principle with the data mining issues. But I, but, but I have to use Facebook to, and I use all the social media to, to hype my stuff. Sure, of course. It's the only way I'm going to be able to reach five, 7,000 people who are theoretically predisposed to want to listen to my music or read my book at, 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 for free. <laughs> Well, it's amazing to see see uh, you you know sort of go through the social media the the modern uh, Twitter spin cycle in like you know it was really like you know twenty minutes it, yeah it was like a couple hours but you know from from soup to nuts right I mean you know I, I was sort of you know probably not paying as much attention to work as I should have been that day and, and keeping an eye on what was going on and saw it and it was just sort of like wow what's next what's next and it was just sort of you know it just came and went and it was just sort of amazing to see. Uh, you know, I think I think what you were talking about with your you were talking about the the very kind reception you had to your apology. I think was because it, you know it felt genuine and sort of in the moment that it was just like you know you recognized uh, the nature of, of sort of what had happened and and you know you made a genuine uh, apology to just sort of say okay I didn't want all this I didn't yeah. want people calling me a scab for an hour on Twitter <laughs> so how do we resolve that? Yeah, and you know again like something really good did come out of this and oh my god would it be incredible if, if like us Right. Would it be incredible if, like, all of a sudden, oh, gee, Alan's having fun not doing mean tweets. Why don't I not do some mean tweets? Absolutely. And, uh, so the, the death been dying could have a positive impact on society. <laughs> Maybe you could be the uh, the catalyst for that. There's a there's a really interesting book. I'm sure people have brought this up to you uh, a number of times by John Ronson called "So You've Been Publicly Shamed." Okay, if I'm interrupt on that one, so Justine. Yeah. Justine Sacco. Of course. So I used to work, yeah, I used to, I used to work with Justine at FanDuel, right? She, so this was like her second, um, her, her resurrection into uh, the, the world. But, you know, and even all those years later, people still were like, oh, you're just, you're the Justine girl. And, and oh, yeah. That Alan guy. You and, know, I mean, she, she got killed. Yeah, I mean, and that's what the book is about, sort of. And I'm not, yeah. I don't know if that sort of thing is going to happen to you. Um, and hopefully not, especially given sort of the reverence you're experiencing now in the <laughs> in the uh, second half of this. I mean, like, I, I had a great interview today with someone on uh, for a Huffington, Huffington Post article. Great. I had a great interview with someone for a Washington Post article. And, you know, the, the funny thing I'm thinking about it is, like, I've written all these books and made all this music. And this is the one time that, like, major media comes to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes that's the way it works. Uh, you know, you can't always predict what's going what's gonna to work out. We appreciate you calling the Canadian Jewish News major media as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did want to ask, uh, before we go, I, I wanted to mention that I, I saw uh, when we were, you know, doing some research into you that you played on a Diggable Planets album and toured with them, which I just want to say is very cool. Um, oh, that was my, uh, my moment in the musical song. I... I spent uh, the vast majority of my life as a bass player 
And, um, you know, I hooked up with them uh, when acid jazz was kind of a big old thing in New York. And, cool. you know, played with them for a year. And they had some, I, mean, I got to tour the world, which is something that I never would have had the opportunity to do had, had I not stumbled into that gig, um, which leads nicely into my uh, pimping my album. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's coming out on November 12th, a week from uh, today. They were talking. It's called 96 BPM, uh, which is, stands for 96 beats per minute. Um, and, you know, I, I, if you're a DJ, you'll know what I'm talking about. The, the songs, the, all the songs on there are 96 beats per minute. But within that framework, I've, I've tried to make it uh, radically different from track to track to track. Um, it's all, it's, it's like 98% instrumental stuff. Uh, I play all of it as the bass, the keyboards, and I do the sampling, and I mix it, and I engineer it. And I'm super proud of it. I, I'm calling it Jazztronica, because it's kind of like a mix of jazz and electronica. But there's also elements of world music and rock. Very cool. Can you send us a sample and we'll throw it in the show? I would absolutely do so. Sounds great. And uh, so before we go, you, you brought up the uh, Chicago Bears. Unfortunately, no Jewish players right now for the Chicago Bears. Uh, usually we like to highlight any, any Jewish athletes out there. Um, no Jewish players, but two uh, what we like to call Mike Jacobs All-Stars, which are uh, guys who aren't Jewish but sound Jewish. Uh, and so for the Bears right now, you got Tariq Cohen, uh, yeah, back, yeah, and Eddie Goldman, the nose tackle. Not Jewish, as far as I can tell, either of them. Is is Robbie Gold still a Bear? No, not for a while. No. Um, so whenever Tariq Cohen does something well, I almost always tweet Rakhayam Tariq. <laughs> yeah, Fabulous. I think that's, that's right. Uh, there's a uh, – I, well, it's – it's interesting. I say this sort of in reverence of speaking to the first Jewish jazz-tronic artist that I can I've ever met. But it's it's. Do you have a favorite Jewish either musical artist or athlete that you have some sort of you're always looking out for? Uh, I mean, the default is Sandy Koufax, but sure. Sandy Koufax is awesome. And if uh, you guys haven't read that uh, Jane Lee's bio of her, which I'm sure you have, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um. And, yeah, of course, Tariq Cohen. Why not? <laughs> yeah, Tariq Cohen. That's a good one. <laughs> a good make Jacobs all-star. All right. Well, uh, Alan, thanks so much. We're going to have to wrap it up there. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, good luck with continuing not to mean tweet. Uh, we'll see how long that goes. <laughs> Wish yeah. you all the luck. I'm good, man. I'm, I'm all nice all the time. Thanks again to Alan Goldshire. That was a, a banger of an interview. Yeah, I mean, really interesting to get his perspective on, you know, everything that happened. I can't imagine what it's like to get, you know, a 1,500 or 2,000, whatever, Twitter notifications in 20 minutes. But A couple of notes on the conversation. Uh, what you're going to hear is the outro instead of our usual uh, outro will be uh, Alan's music. That's that, right. That Off he's his upcoming album. Uh, his uh, uh, Jewish Jazztronica record. Another quick note. We spoke, uh, referred to Justine. Strangely, a former colleague of Alan's, I guess at FanDuel, the world works in mysterious ways. Very interesting. Justine was a big uh, uh, part of John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which was also uh, referenced in the, in the conversation. Justine was a woman who tweeted a racially insensitive thing while traveling to Africa. Oh, right. Yeah, and, I remember that. And almost the entire Twitter world went ham on her in the 13 hours she was on the plane right right so and uh, she like i can't remember all the i didn't read john ronson's book although i've read others some of his other work but um i think she she got fired she lost her job she couldn't find work she she couldn't go anywhere and and uh, according to uh alan several jobs later and her second comeback i think uh, he called it uh, she was still getting uh remembered amazing well i guess that goes to show you know sort of what alan talked about that you know if you get that apology out there quickly and it's genuine and you get on top of it i mean you too can come back from public shaming. 
Until next time, uh, we're the Menchwarmers. Uh, we are produced by Alex Rose. Today we were guest produced by Michael Freeman, the executive producer of the CJN Podcast Network. And please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, find us on Facebook at the CJN Podcast Network and follow us on Twitter at Menchwarmers for all of the uh, most irreverent takes and uh, worst Jewish sports memes on the internet. Uh, before we go, Larry, we're waiting for your call. Thanks, guys. 